It's your boy, Dean Thomas here. Thank you for stopping by and having a listen. It's me. I'm back. Episode nine of my own show. Dean's got answers. Answers to what? Answers to anything and everything. In this show, I'll break down the questions you have about the UFC, and I'll provide my answers. They might not be the answers you're looking for, but that's not why you're tuning in, right? You want to hear from me. Dean Thomas, I'm a UFC vet. I'm a coach to the biggest names of the sport, co-star of Dana White looking for a fight, host of the Dean Diaries. I'm an analyst, podcaster, comedian. I do all kind of things on the side, so don't ever underestimate me, but I'm going to keep this show simple. Each episode, I'll tackle three questions about the UFC, and I'll give you my take, my opinion, and my answers to each I'll hit on everything from the fun and wild moments the sport has to offer to the inner workings of the sport. No question is off limits. And by the way, if you have a question for me, DM me at Dean Thomas. Dean is spelled D-I-N. You know what else I'm going to do? Each episode, I'm going to slide up into my Rolodex and I'm going to holler at a homie for a second opinion. I'll bring on the biggest names of the sport and see if they agree or disagree with me. But today... I'm not going to holler at one, homie. Yep, this is special. I'm going to holler at two. First, I am going to holler at the former UFC welterweight champ and Sarah Longo fight team's very own Matt Sarah. Then I'm going to holler at the number six ranked women's flyweight contender, Caitlin Chukagian. On this episode, I'll break down and answer the following questions. First, what the fuck is up with and I'm going to talk about some crazy moments of the sport. What the fuck is up with how dangerous the Bantamweight division is? And is this the most dangerous division of all time? Second, why are fighters having success coming out of smaller gyms? Hey, listen, good things come in small packages. Well, at least that's what I told my exes. And third, what's it like being a female fighter in a male-dominated sport? Well, I have no idea, and I won't even pretend to. That's why I'm bringing on one of my favorite fighters who just so happens to be a female to help me out with this. And after all that, I am going to rapid fire answer questions from you, the fans. You can't stump me, boy. So turn up the volume, kick back, and take heed to the words I speak. Let's go. The UFC has had some super stacked divisions over the years. But what we're witnessing with the Bantamweight division right now, in terms of talent, is special. So I'm going to break down and answer, what the fuck is up with how dangerous the Bantamweight division is? And is this the most dangerous division of all time? We just witnessed a Bantamweight matchup of the ages at UFC 288 as the Bantamweight champion, Aljamain Sterling, took on the former flyweight and Bantamweight champion, Henry Cejudo coming out of retirement. This is a fight that I was really excited for because I knew how extraordinary both of these competitors are. And I knew if it came down to a decision, the judges would not be experienced or qualified enough and our current score system would probably not be adequate enough to decide a true winner. Yes, they are that good. And this fight did not disappoint. It was as tactical and as close as I anticipated it to be. Aljo used his movement, his length, and his superior grappling in order to squeeze out a split decision victory. But it wasn't easy, and it didn't go without controversy. Many people might still think that Henry won. For me, it was so close that I refused to go back and rewatch to determine who I thought actually won the fight. I just accepted Aljo as the winner. Now, Aljo is the most underappreciated champion of all time. And the reason why is because he is the greatest Bantamweight champion and greatest Bantamweight fighter of all time. Love it or hate it, his resume proves it. He's beaten Cejudo, Dillashaw, Jan, as well as Sanhagen, Munoz, Jimmy Rivera, and Cody Stamen. His one decisive loss was a knee to the head by Marlon Moraes when Marlon was still on top of his game. And his other two losses were split decisions to Rafael Asuncao and Brian Caraway, both respectively decent fighters for their era. Aljo is a tremendous fighter and your personal feelings towards him will never take away the accomplishments that he's done inside the octagon. He is the greatest band of weight of all time. And on the other side of that coin, we have Henry Cejudo. 
the greatest combat athlete of our generation, he called out Marab. And that's the right call for him because Marab is not going to fight Aljamain, and rightfully so. So that leaves him without a dance partner. So why would we have Marab knocking off up and coming contenders? Have him fight Henry. And from a stylistic perspective, that's probably a great fight for Henry. I'm not sure Marab can out-wrestle Henry. I'm also not sure that Marab can outstrike Henry. But if Henry cannot manage the pace of that fight, he won't win. If Marab dictates the pace and keeps the pace fast, Marab is certainly going to win. But of all the top contenders, Marab doesn't present the length that would give him trouble the same way Aljo did. Now that Aljo retained his belt, we have the number two ranked contender, Sean O'Malley, guaranteed the next title shot at Aljo. But on paper, this is a terrible stylistic matchup for Sean. Okay, Sean has great footwork and movement, but he's never really shown to have great takedown defense. And it would seem that if Aljo gets him down, it might be over. And I kind of lean towards that theory, but Sean would have his opportunities. Sean is longer, something Aljo is not used to. Sean does have good footwork, and we've seen how dangerous Sean is. He has the ability to knock people out. So in the same way that Aljo was knocked out by Marlon, Sean could do the same thing, knock him out before the fight gets started. So I've mentioned Aljo, Sean O'Malley, Marab, Henry Cejudo, but those aren't the only killers in the division. What makes this division so dangerous is how deep it is from the top ranked contender to the 15th ranked contender and even the unranked guys. And there's still Song Yudong coming off a win over Ricky Simone. And there's Dominic Cruz, who was probably the greatest bantamweight of all time before Aljo's win over Henry, of course. And even though Adrian Yanez, Chris Gutierrez just lost, I still believe it was a valuable lesson for them. And within the next two or three years, any one or all of them could be at the top of the division. And there's a name that nobody wants to see. This guy is like the boogeyman, the undefeated Umar Namagomedov. Even though he's ranked 11th, if he fought anybody in the top 10, there's a good chance he would be the favorite. I don't think I'm going out on too much of a stretch when I say this, that I think the current Bantamweight division is the most dangerous division of all time. When you consider that fighting is at the highest level it's ever been, and this division has the deepest level of the highest fighters, I can't think of any other time in history that any other division has been this complete. Overall, so why is this a dangerous division? And is this the most dangerous division of all time? While other divisions may have had bigger names, more exciting matchups, and bigger draws, there has never been another division in the history of the UFC with as deep of a roster of this highly skilled group of fighters. So many great fighters have come out of staple mega gyms throughout UFC's history. But what goes unnoticed at times is that not all fighters come from these big MMA gyms. So I need to answer the question, why are fighters having success coming out of the smaller gyms? Some fighters have had success in the UFC that have came from the small gyms include Light heavyweight champion Jamal Hill, the number fourth ranked women's flyweight contender Aaron Blanchfield, and number 11th ranked flyweight Bryce Mitchell. Jamal Hill trains at a Black Lion Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu of Michigan. Aaron Blanchfield trains at a Silver Fox BJJ in New Jersey. And Bryce Mitchell trains at Westside MMA in Arkansas. And he does a lot of his training on his own farm. I am currently in Philadelphia right now with Sean Brady, who trains with John Marquez and a small group of guys all of them having success. Now, what are the benefits of training at a smaller gym? First, we must look at tradition. Wrestlers learn how to wrestle in wrestling rooms full of wrestlers. Jiu-Jitsu guys learn Jiu-Jitsu in a classroom full of Jiu-Jitsu guys. So basically, you learned in a cookie cutter system. And as the sport began to evolve, better fighters started gravitating towards other better fighters. This is what created the super gyms. Now we are realizing that MMA is information-based, and the more and the better information you have, the better fighter you can become. And this is where smaller gyms are now having an advantage. When coaches have a smaller number of athletes to work with, they are able to disseminate information in a more effective and efficient manner to their athletes. So instead of a coach walking around a room watching 20 guys throw a jab incorrectly, a coach can focus on two or three athletes making sure they are doing everything correctly. There's another benefit that holds just as much weight, and that's culture. Typically in smaller gyms, 
people care about each other. There's a sense of loyalty that can't be broken. There's a bond and a love that can't be penetrated by outsiders. And it's genuine and it's not fabricated by money. Culture should never be underestimated when determining how successful a team can be. So to answer this question, why are fighters having success coming out of smaller gyms? I am going to holler at a homie. So I am pleased to welcome my friend, the former UFC welterweight champ, UFC Hall of Famer, Long Island's finest, Matt Sarah. What's up, Dean Thomas? Dean's got answers. Shit, I got questions. Oh, well, I, I got I got a question too, and I'm gonna have you help me answer that. And I want to talk about the success that smaller gyms are having, especially now. Why are smaller gyms having such success these days? That is the question? That's the question. <sighs> now, do we have any to talk about besides, of course, Sarah Longo? Well, you know, when you think about it, you think about uh, like Jamal Hill yeah. comes out of a small place. Aaron Blanchfield comes out of a small place. Yeah. Like these guys are not coming from super camps. They're coming from these smaller gyms, smaller academies, and are having success in competing with the big super camps. But the original spot to ever do that, in my opinion, was Sarah Longo. You know, I'm going to say we definitely have a, a different way of running things, I'm going to say. And it's I'm not going to judge anybody how they they conduct their business with their teams. Because there's some people that rely on being a coach as their primary income. So, man, I'm not knocking anybody if they have contracts with their fighters. They got to, and that's usually the way you do it and the way you should do it in business is you have, you know, whatever it is, contracts, agreements, and written up and this and that, where you get this amount, you're in the corner for this, you hold pads for this much during the week, or you coach them for this much. We don't do anything like that at all. So, you know, part of the reason being is, is because this is more just a passion thing for me and, and, and Ray Longo. I, I've been teaching jujitsu as long as I've been fighting. So my jujitsu school is your average people. My motto at my school is I like to make good people dangerous. So what's more important to me is, is making the average person able to defend themselves and not get embarrassed in front of their family if they ever get attacked if they're able to protect their loved ones. I like that kind of stuff. Self-defense almost sounds like a dirty word nowadays. Like, ah, what is that? You know, but if anybody was in this, and I, I bring it up, I bring it up, bring it up often because I think it's, it's a good example of having jujitsu where like I bring up my thing in Vegas where I got approached by that drunk when I was with my family. I don't look like a, a weak man, even though I'm not a tall man. Uh, and for that guy to start me, I like to picture any one of my students in that same position, six months with me, they can defend themselves. So I'm, I'm set as far as my livelihood. That's what I do and I make money doing it. So I don't rely on the fighters. Don't get me wrong. Everybody's generous to myself and Longo. They kick back, but we don't have said, hey, listen, you win this, you get the points on that. I want this, I want that. We got a percentage. We don't have any of that. So what we do is is literally coming from the heart. So it's it's a different thing. Like a people like American top team in these super gyms, sometimes a fighter could possibly get lost in the mix. So there's a lot of it's hard to get a maybe maybe not. I mean, I know they got their routines down. You should know better than me. You worked for American top team. You know, they they have their formula down, but you know, you go to this practice, that practice, with myself coming up with Ray Longo and Henzo. I would work in the city and would work my jujitsu with my head with Henzo Gracie. And then as far as the sparring and the training, the conditioning, that was all Ray Longo. We would meet in weird midnight, eleven thirty at night, get done around twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning, because we're fighting late at night. And so we would have we 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 never really hold to a this is our schedule for this week and that week. That's what we would do. And it's different than a pro regimented um, practice. I'm kind of all over the fucking place, but I'm answering a lot of. No, no, no. I, I, I'm digging I it, man. I'm, I'm, t I'm totally digging it. And I, and yeah, I love man. it. I love your approach because yeah. I always thought that too, is that in addition to the X's and O's, there's also the culture aspect of it. And I think that you guys provide a, a level 
of culture and love that big super gyms don't get because you are smaller and you are doing it for the love of it. Yeah, I mean, we're not going in somebody's. I personally, I'm not jumping in a corner if I'm not. I'm not liking a guy. If I'm not, I'm not going. I'm, not, I'm not, definitely not going over there for a paycheck. Yeah, I'm not going. Some fighters or or coaches they want to um, try to show that they're legit, so they want to get there. They're in the corner. They're they're they, they're practicing their brave heart speech speeches. They're practicing their <laughs> fucking Teddy Atlas quotes. They're getting ready for their fucking. Oh, they're gonna say. Dude, I don't give a shit about any of that. I don't need to see this face anymore. I got enough attention. I don't, I've accomplished some shit. I don't need to be like, hey, the meat guy's sticking his head in. I don't need to be like Paulie and Rocky one trying to get my face in the camera. Fuck no. I'm there because I want to be there for my guys. Like, you know what I mean? I'm there because at the end of the day, me and Longo, we got this guy. This is our guy. You're bringing your guy. We're meeting over at that flagpole. I bet you our guy is going to fuck your guy up. That's it. Don't think of it. It doesn't get, obviously, strategically and technique-wise and whatnot, it gets deeper than that. But mentality, we're bringing our guy to the flagpole. You bring yours. We're going to go. I mean, I love that. But you've had so much success. I mean, think of it. Like, you did it. You won a championship. Chris Weidman won a championship. Al Jermaine Sterling won a championship, defending it more times than any other bantamweight in the history. And then on his wings, Marab oh, yeah. on his is on his tail. I mean, and then you and then even thinking about like may kind of come over there every so often, like Matt Frivola that you guys have yes. a good connection with. Like, yes. it's amazing how just a group of like homeboys can make this work. Strong Island, man. You know what's funny? Here in Long Island, you know, we got a lot of, like, a lot of the guys you mentioned, pretty much all of them, they already, they, they, we have a good wrestling program in, like, the schools out here. So we have some, the guy, a lot of the guys you mentioned, Weidman, uh, Al, Iaquinta, it, it was a, Al. a pretty good wrestler, too. Uh, Aljo, wrestler. Like, so they have that element of that wrestling. Me, my college was jiu-jitsu, was the Hensel Gracie Academy. So I, it would always be, they come to my school for the floor, they go to Longo's for the sparring and the striking. And not for anything, they already come in with a good wrestling base, a lot of these guys. So we can pretty much have all the bases covered. And then it's just about, you know, getting to work in, you know? So, like, we have a pretty good routine with that. And it just, it's simple. Like, the guys, I got you just straight up jujitsu schools where with my, I know that I have world-class talent in my academy on any night role without the gear on with the gear on but especially without the gear as far as with the fights coming up so when these guys are coming there's guys that you know like you got guys coming down every week who like randy brown's coming down like every tuesday he's got a fight coming up he might be getting fucking tortured by some guys that he beat up in a cage but he's agreeing to grapple with them and he's getting attacked and, he, and that way he's just super, so it's like, it's almost like, all right, you want to work your hands, you're going to fucking Gleason's. You want to work your your Muay Thai, all oh, these guys are going to Tiger Muay Thai in fucking Thailand, and they're just doing their Muay Thai. So with, with Longo's, Longo's so on point with the, with the striking game, and then when they come to my spot, you know, it's again, they got just world-class guys that are never, some guys will never throw a punch, and but they're just taking limbs all day long. So they're just getting quality, quality work. I should throw out that, like, uh, back in the day, it was strictly, like, my school was strictly just jujitsu. Longo's was strictly striking, and they would have to go to each school. So now, yes, we do go to both places. They are our pros. But, you know, over at Lore MMA, we got Mike, we got uh, 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 Mike Sullivan over there uh, uh, teaching, one of my black belts teaching jujitsu over there. And uh, at my place, you have coach carol colombo and she's uh she's a big fan of yours you know carol yeah she's, yeah yeah uh, you know, she's uh our striking coach over and she's longo's pupil for the last close to 30 years so again man we're getting we're getting like local kids getting quality quality work and i'm not pursuing like i said the next champ it all happens organically you know what i mean love that now, let's I, you bet young marcus i have I just as much fun <laughs> Coaching and going to corner young Marcus over at the Westbury Space Theater here in Long Island than I do <laughs> go, uh, being in the, a UFC corner. I really do. 
Young Marcus loves the anime. He was down two rounds and, and, and in his fight, in his, in his two, two fights ago, last guy he smoked. But he's, he's three and oh, and he's got another fight coming up with one of uh, Ryan LaFleur's students. Should be good. Uh, anyway, Young Marcus was, uh, was down two rounds to a Tiger Shulman kid, this tough Puerto Rican kid from Queens. So I go, Marcus, listen to me, man. Forget about those two rounds. Right now, you love you love anime. You're in the movie. You're in, you're in the movie. He went out there and fucking Hayukin that motherfucker. He double-legged him. He did exactly what I told him. And he submitted that motherfucker. He strangled him. He lived his anime movie. That's just these goosebumps as much as being in there with these high-profile fights. I love it. And that's, and that's from that bond and that trust that you guys have for each other. Now, let's talk about a high-profile fight. Just uh, with last week or two weeks ago, we had Al Jermaine Sterling beating yes. him. Cejudo. Yeah. So what was that fight like for you from the corner perspective? Did you guys know that you were up? Or how did it feel throughout the whole thing? I was... Now, I'm, I'm pretty... I'm very honest to the point where if I think it's that close, the round... I'm going to say, look, man, we might have lost that one. You, we better stay, you know. I remember feeling, first of all, super proud of Aljo. What was telling in that fight was the first round. He got taken down. And he, what what he said, what, what the message he put out in that first round was, this is not going to be an easy fight for you. This is going to be a long night for you. Because you got me down in the opening round. Now, not only did he get back up, he started putting, started touching him, and he ended that round with taking down uh, Cejudo up against the cage. He won back that round in a, a round he could have easily lost. That set the stage for the night, and that got me bumped in the corner. And then the second round, he won. I felt he, I felt he won. I remember the third round. I liked the way he put a stamp on it in the fifth. I thought the only round in question was the third round. Watching it. Because I remember it ended with him getting taken down, and I didn't like the way that ended. And I remember being so, but I remember thinking when we were done that fifth round, like, yo, we got at least I thought four rounds to, to maybe one, but at least three. I mean, I felt I really felt confident that we won. It wasn't even it was like, yo, we we got this. It was it wasn't even like a question to me. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt in my heart. I just and then when they did split, I'm like. You know, Dean Thomas, look, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm feeling this is probably why you brought it up. You prick. Listen to me. (laughs) I've lost fights the way Henry Cejudo lost that fight. And I lost one that you will love. Go ahead, show people your tattoo. Is my fight to you. Okay? Now, look, I'll admit it now, because it's already over, and since then I won a title, and it became a legend. Listen, (laughs) I'm only kidding. I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, I lost that fight. I was, but I remember not feeling like, I'm like, dude, I, the guy was running. I was running after him. Yeah, but there's something called effective aggression. You can't just be aggressive to be fucking aggressive. And I'm aggressive. But I remember you were like a gazelle, man. I'd have your legs and you'd jump up and out and you'd pepper me with some shots and and then get out of there and get out of there and use your footwork. So I get it. I get it, Henry. I know, and I'm, I'm with his guys where they can say, yeah, maybe he kept going forward. But you got to be honest. You know what I mean? Can we bring up that when I did spar you on season four, I got you down with inside like <laughs> You remember that? Do you I remember that. Remember? I don't know if you remember what you said to me. Uh, I, remember. I, I remember saying something. I can't remember exactly what it was. I remember. Because I after we fought, and when we fought, I got you down with like a knee block like in a clinch, maybe with like 15 seconds left or something, something very lame. And then you just lock the guard because you knew you won. You're like, wee! And, and I like, put my arms up. Yeah, you put your arms up and I'm like, ah, give me another five. <laughs> anyway, my point is, I was big on doubles and singles before that fight. Your fight changed my the way I fought as far as I'd fight my way to the clinch and I got really, dude, it, it led to future success for me. In Ivan Medjavar, it led for success with the Shoney Carter fight on the show because singles and doubles are exhausting. And when you lose them, the guys, it, it's hard to, you know, you, you, you chase it after the guy. But I got so good with those inside leg trip and the body locks because of your fight. Because I'm like, dude, I couldn't catch this guy. And not only that, I fought BJ Penn before you, and it was kind of similar where I'm having trouble getting guys down and I'm running. So, you know, again, you have to learn from some shit like that. But back to the fight. Now, look, so in other words, I know what it's like to lose going forward, okay? So 
I get it. I get where Henry's guys are like, oh, they can they can use that excuse of, but not even but not even so. Wait, hold on. I'm bringing up that fight, but it's a different. This is a different thing altogether in a sense where, yes, Shudo went address a, a forward like me to try to be aggressive, and he didn't have much success. But even more so with Aljo, where Aljo. Aljo outstruck him. Aljo took him down more times than he got taken down. So what are we fucking talking about? How could he have, how could Ali say all he did was run? All he did, I saw the backstage, and all he did was run. All he did was run. And I'm like, dude, obviously not, man. Who, whose face looks worse? Who got more takedowns? What the fuck are you talking about? Don't be like that. That's just being salty. <laughs> and by the way, that coward, Eric, they say Coach Eric. I call him Coward Eric. Yeah. That guy had something to say about everybody. That little fucking dork. What a troll. That guy was on there. I saw him uh, on Ariel saying some shit. Like, and he's doing a speech about each guy. And Matt Sarah, you're, you say you're stuck. You say five more minutes, Al Joe. I, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I don't know why that's bad. And then he goes, <laughs> you say you're stocky, not short. He goes, you, he goes like this. He goes, I am. And first of all, you ever see this guy? He yeah. was like a little chode, a little little fat little thing with glasses on, like, and he's a little, he's like a little piglet, you know. <laughs> so he's like, that's Sarah. He goes, you are, you, you, you know, he's like, you're stocky, not short. He goes, you are short, and you're a hundred pounds heavier than when you fought GSP. And he's reading off notes. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, dude, it's one thing if Henry wants to be cringy and he's talking about people selling a fight. We're not selling a fight, you little piggy. Why are you acting like that to me? Because if me and him were alone together, alone in a room, and I go, hey, Eric, you had something to say, you little pig? He will not say this to me. <laughs> I guarantee he wouldn't. He will not say this to me. I, I Listen, I, I, and I'm not saying in him with a bunch of people around where he knows something can just get stopped. Me and this is what I don't, this is, what, this is my problem with that fucking little fat fuck is what are you doing talking shit? These guys had it out in the cage. They were hugging afterwards. Why are you bringing up my name? You must think I'm more mature than I am, you little <laughs> fuck. Anyway, Dean Thomas, you know me too well. Let's go, Dean. Next, I just wanted to take a shot at Coward Eric. What else? I, know, I, I got one more. I got one more for are you. Are we done already? I'm having fun. Yeah, no, I got one more. Go ahead. Uh, all right. So, Henry called out Marab. Yes. So, I mean, stylistically, it's a very different fight from Aljo. What, do you, what is your take on that fight? I fucking like it. Let's make it, obviously, Henry wants a headliner. He's not going to be a three-rounder. Make it a five-rounder, and he'll burn, he'll, he will burn him out. He'll burn him out. Listen, and I know I'm fucking about to be 49. I'm no spring chicken, but I'm bigger than Marab. So I'll get Marab in some positions, man. The guy's not stopping. Boom, boom, I'm mounted on him. Dude, I got a money mouth, and I, dude, I know I'm not a young man. But, dude, he just doesn't. We worked on him getting out of it. Dude, he's just... I'm just like, all right, slow down. Can I add some elbows in now? Jesus Christ. He doesn't stop. <laughs> he doesn't fucking stop. So he will get you fucking tired. Because and he's going to be pinned down from guys that know how to keep him pinned down. And he just doesn't stop. So it's going to be harder. Just You're not going to take him down. I think he's thinking, thinking that he's just going to outgrapple it. But this is not a, a regulated wrestling match. You got just a 25-minute one. And you're dealing with a guy with unlimited fucking tank, an unlimited, unlimited gas tank, and I don't think Henry's looking as quick as he used to be. I'm not being a prick, but Longo mentioned it, and I agree with him. We were expecting yeah. speed, we were expecting, and I think he's on the wrong side of 35. How old is he? How old is Henry? I think, he's, I think he's 36. Listen, I was getting punched in the face by Chris Lytle at 36. At 35, I was knocking out Trig. <laughs> I'd like to bring that up sometimes. Listen, Ah yes, Dean Thomas. What's up? I got I got to take off, man. I got to get wait, you wait, out wait, of here. Wait, what? We got to we got to bounce, man. This is a short show. Well, for our fans that don't know, let's just leave them with this. Ebony and Ivory, we go together. together perfect harmony. Side by side, side, side on the yeah, I know. Oh, Lord, I know we. <laughs>
And that was Matt Sarah. Always fun to talk to my best friend in the whole world. But the question remains, why are fighters having success coming out of the smaller gyms? Well, I believe it comes down to culture and the love that they have for each other and the very specific and detailed attention each fighter can get from a good coach. Listen, fighting is not one size fits all. And as this game progresses, so does the level of sophisticated and tactical skills. And every high level fighter will need very specific training to maintain consistent success. Women's MMA has evolved rapidly and women represent some of the most skilled mixed martial artists in the world. Although women fighting in the UFC has only been around for a little over 10 years. So I need to answer. What's it like being a female fighter in a male-dominated sport? In November of 2012, the UFC announced that Ronda Rousey would be the first female to sign with the UFC. Dana White made Rousey the first UFC women's bantamweight champion. Rousey defended her title against Liz Carmouche in February of 2013 at UFC 157. Rousey was the first to jumpstart women fighting in the UFC, but after her, Many more women claim titles in the UFC, and now we have some incredible champions. Currently, the women's strawweight champion is Zhang Weili, the women's flyweight champion is Alexa Grasso, and the women's bantamweight and featherweight champion is Amanda Nunes. But I couldn't begin to tell you what it's like being a female fighter in a male-dominated sport. So to further answer this question, I gotta holla at a homie. I'm bringing on one of my favorite fighters, of all time, who just happens to be a female, Miss Caitlin Chukagian. And now joining me is Caitlin Chukagian. Caitlin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. So I'm on the show, and this show is called Dean's Got Answers. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel as though I have answers to everything, but the question arose that <laughs> how is it for women? in a male-dominated sport like MMA. And I obviously don't have the answer to that. And they said, who do you want to get to answer this question? I said, you got to get Caitlin Chikagian. So <laughs> I ask you, just off the top, being in a male-dominated sport, how is it for a woman? Um, well, honestly, I think asking me is probably, I'm the, probably the outlier for the most, for what most women say, how they feel about it. I'm like kind of anti-feminist, you know. I think that me growing up and doing this sport, it's been a little bit easier for me than guys. I'd walk into a gym. This is before, you know, now it's a lot more common, but I'm talking like 10 years ago, you walk into a gym, if you're like a girl and you're semi-decent, guys are really willing to help you. <laughs> Whether, well, I don't know what their is <laughs> or not, but I think if you were smart, you kind of, you know, you take it and pick what you can from a lot of people. And, you know, you can use that to your advantage or, or disadvantage. But I never had trouble having, uh, you know, people want to help me. <laughs> so in that, in that sense, I think I was a little at an advantage. And also, you know, in the beginning, like I said, now it's, it's changed so much so fast, but it was a lot less competitive for me when I first got started. If you were, a girl and you were fighting and you had a decent record um you know regionally you're probably getting in the ufc you didn't really you know as long as you're winning most of your fights whereas the guys not only had to be kind of undefeated but they had to have like all finishes and exciting wins to get into the ufc for girls you know there's just less of us so being in a male dominant sport is kind of an advantage for us yeah especially in the beginning i believe so because of that but and you say that you didn't have trouble having guys help you. <laughs> that, I mean, I'm sure that there were probably some other There's, motives in, involved in that as well, too, at times. One person I had trouble with is my head coach, Mark Henry. Um, when I was kind of like training all different places and I, I was living in New Jersey, going to school there. And I was like, oh, okay this is where a lot of uh, UFC fighters train. It must be good. And I saw, you know, at the time, like every, you know, I was like obsessed with watching Frankie Edgar and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go where he trains. Obviously that's good. I would just show up and I would see Mark working with him and Edson Barboza, Eddie Alvarez. And I was like, oh, I was like, hey, can, you know, can I work with you? And he's like, no, I don't train girls. And I was like, wait, but I, I'm a 
fighter. Like, what's the difference? And he's like, nah, I don't train girls. I don't, I don't do that. They cry. I don't, I don't do that. So, like, I think he just didn't have experience. You know, Mark was never really like a coach at a gym. He was kind of just like Frankie's coach and then took on one person, took on another person. You know, he kind of just was doing it on the side. So I just kept showing up and like, I would just eavesdrop when he, I would show up to the, you know, sparring sessions. And when he was coaching Frankie or any of the other guys, I would just stand there and listen and just like, I'm like, all right, whatever he tells them, I'm going to listen to that. And I'm going to try it. It's kind of like, you know, getting free, free coaching. And then eventually I just stuck around and he didn't really give me, a, you know, have a choice. And then he kind of, he showed, he started uh, you know, like, all right, fine, I'll go. You know, the first fight he cornered me, he was cornering someone else on the card too. So he's like, all right, fine, I'll just corner you too, you know? And then eventually, you know, he got stuck so with really, me. It really was like a million dollar baby situation where he didn't necessarily want to do it, but you stuck around for long enough that he had no choice. And now I'm sure he appreciated it. Yeah, yeah, I just kind of forced him. I didn't really give him a choice. Yeah. Well, one, one thing I noticed about females in training is that females like to group up together and i'm always like i get it because of the size but sometimes i feel like they just like to group up together just to be together and you know because you know there's guys over here and the girls like ah let me hang out with the other females do you experience that with, with your training or have you seen that and what do you think about that i've tried to kind of get other girls to come but it doesn't really work I don't know if it's just where I am. I mean, I was lucky where I had um, Sajara Eubanks came and she was on the in the finales for the Ultimate Fighter where my coaches were coaching. So then she didn't have a gym, so she came here and it was the first time I really had another girl to consistently train with that was, you know, higher level. And um, so it was, that was kind of my first time. I was already in the UFC, had a couple fights in the UFC and that was like my first time really having a female training partner and I was like at first it was weird because I was like wait this girl's coming here she's fighting for the title that's my weight division like yeah hold on yeah like what the heck and Mark's like no it'll be good y'all partners if you fight wait till you fight for the title if you guys have to fight for each other for the title then you'll figure it out and you know just the way careers go for two people to be fighting even if they're in the top 10, for them to have that opportunity to fight each other for the title is pretty rare. A lot of things happen, injuries, losses, time off. And, uh, you know, I had to trust him with that. And he, it was probably the best thing for my career is having like a solid high level girl training partner. But other than that, it's just adding that into the mix because it's a lot more competitive, you know. Around here, like in New Jersey, New York, there's a lot of guys that are smaller that I have for training partners, a lot of wrestlers. Um, but even if they're the guys, even if I weigh a little bit more than them, or I'm technically better, there's still that strength there. And it's, you know, that's in your head. When you go against a girl, you're like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not letting, I'm not giving up this takedown. I'm not doing this. Like you get more competitive than you do with the guys. Cause you can always have that in your back of your head. You're like, oh, well they're stronger. So I definitely think I leveled up with training with girls, but me and her trying to find other training partners wasn't very hard. You know, I get, sometimes I'd spar girls once or twice and then they wouldn't want to spar anymore um then other girls kind of was in the same situation we would you know they ended up in the ufc and they were like eh, i don't really want to train we're in the same division so at first I, I took offense to that but you just have to realize everyone trains differently and some people you know want to be the only person in their gym some people want to have a lot of training partners and it's just different for everyone would you prefer to train with other girls or with uh with with boys um i like a a, a mix of a, a mix of them if the girls are you know high level then yeah if they're which that's kind of hard to find you know even if some girls are in the ufc there's obviously like levels to the ufc so i don't want to have to be you know taking it easy when i'm in camp sparring or like you know helping other people all the time you have to be a little selfish so i kind of like the mix of it having like if they're High level girls, I love that. I find a lot of girls that are good at jujitsu um, that are high level and that I can go with. I've gone to boxing gyms where there's girls that are, you know, pro boxers. So I've been able to kind of find high level specialties, specialists, and uh, that helps. I mean, ideally, if there was like a group of like six girls that were all high level in the UFC, I could train with. That would be that would be awesome. But um, if not, I like having like one or two, and then go with the guys that are smaller. 
Yeah, because that's what I was uh, referring to earlier. You know, some of these camps, you know, American Top Team, and then a couple of spots out in Colorado, they have just these massive uh, girl cliques that are out there, and they have a lot of female fighters, and they they all build off of each other. So, I mean, there are I think that there are some opportunities like that, but they're probably closed at a certain yeah. level. Like, nah, we don't want no more, and we have enough, and we don't want to fight any. Well, there's only three weight divisions for girls. So if you yeah. want to like, if you're like, oh, there's a group of girls training, hey, I want to go, and there's already two girls in your weight division there, they're like, nah, she can't come. Yeah, you're see, like, that, I, I would assume okay. that to be a problem. That'd probably be one of the bigger problems. Yeah, and I'm always like, I'll spar anyone. I, I fought, if I'm gonna, if I fought you, I'm like, the next week, I'm like, hey, let's get together, let's train. And then some people are like, no, we might fight again. I'm like, well, who, we already fought, like, who cares? Like, you know, a fight yeah. is so different than training to me that I'm like, it doesn't matter. I could go in, I could train with someone and get my ass beat and I'm like so confident that I could beat them because training's different than, than the fight. But some people, you know, take training just as serious as fighting. Part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is because you are a veteran in the game. You've been around, you've been fighting as an amateur since 2012. Uh, was it hard for you to find fights back then as a female? Yeah, it was definitely really hard. Um, especially like MMA, especially it would, you know, and I had like my coach at the time then, uh, he was like, you know, they were like, oh, you can go pro. And he's like, no, 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 get get as much experience as you can. But it's like, it's tough because you can't get that much experience. I had seven amateur fights, which at the time, even now is still a lot for a girl. And then I had seven pro fights before I was even in the UFC. And um, just kind of making sure I, I went to, I couldn't find fights. I went to Hungary and I fought twice in one night just to get the experience. And I was like, you know, they just basically cover my flight. And I've even like on the regional scene, I had to pay for my opponent's tickets to fly out just so I could get the fight, you know? So I was not making any money and I was paying like, you know, for her and her, her, her and her coaches uh, flights just to get, just to get them here to, uh, to fight. Um, and also I got in the beginning, before I even started MMA, I had about 10 or 12 uh, amateur boxing fights. I fought in the Golden Gloves. Obviously, jujitsu. I've had so many matches, and that's all experience too. I think all of that together really, really helps. I think a lot of people rush into, oh, I can get on contender series. I'm like, well, you have one fight. Like, even if you go in the contender series, and you get a first round knockout, okay, well now you're in the fights. Then you get a, you get a, you know, your first fight, you get a win. It's like in, you know, in one year, you're with the top level people and some of these people are like 20 years old 21 so it works out for some people but i think that there is a an advantage of taking it slow and getting experience i mean that's what boxers do obviously a little more extreme but you know i think there is a a, a huge thing of getting experience as much as you can even if you have to travel for it or it's not you can't just sit in your hometown and be like oh this is the one fight promotion they can't find any fighters i was you know messaging girls does anyone want to fight any girls are <laughs> oh they would dm me and say yeah i'm trying to fight i'm like can you fight in may yeah i can fight in may i'm like okay and i would send their information to promoters you know there was uh one subject that i've always seen a lot of female fighters to be very kind of combative defensive and adamant about their position on this and that is this over sexualization of females and some of them are like hey listen i got it i'm a fauna i use it to my advantage and some are like hey listen that's trashy what are you you know what are you doing what, what is your take on that how do you feel about it and or do you not even care um i definitely don't care i think it's like i think the girls that do it i kind of benefit for from because they just bring more attention to the sport um i'm that's just not really my style i kind of wish it was because i'd probably be making a lot more money and probably have a lot more of a following but um that's just not my style but also i don't i don't really understand the people that like hate on people that are doing that you know if anything like you know if there's girls out there doing all that stuff and they're they're bringing more attention it's it, we're all benefiting from it so I, I never thought of it honestly and that's why i'm glad i got you on here because i never thought of it that way like for me it was like one or the other because i've seen girls like 
like, oh, how dare they do that? They're making us look bad. And then other ones are like, hey, listen, I got it. It's mine. I'm a flaunt it, and I'm, you know, I'm making money off of it. So, but I never looked at it as, hey, listen, we're make we're benefiting off of you showing your ass. Yeah, they're like, oh, girl fighters are hot. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at these <laughs> girls. Look at them. You know, <laughs> so, like I said, I'm, it's just not really my style. But I always say, I'm like, man, I wish it was my style. I'd be making a lot more money. Now, speaking of, uh, you know, fights, your division, obviously, Shevchenko was dethroned. Alexa Grasso is the new queen of the division. How has that affected you? Um, has that made you go, okay, you know, there's another challenge or is this, you know, what is your thoughts on that? I mean, it was amazing just to see. I mean, like, even, like, watching that Alexa Grasso, that, you know, the highlight, the fight, and all the videos and stuff, like, you can't help but, like, I get like emotional when I watch it. It's like a movie scene. It was um, such an awesome way to win, you know? And um, and Alexa's like so sweet. I think like everyone, you can't help but like her. But um, for me, you know, it doesn't really change. I'm just kind of like, I just take whatever fight I can get. I mean, I think, you know, I'm coming off of a loss my last fight. I think that fight was, you know, kind of a bummer for me. If I would have won that, I think I would be more in the conversation of like contender fight maybe. But, um, you know, losing, it sucks when you lose a fight when you're at the top, it like puts you down. And then, you know, you start thinking like, okay, well, how many more to get back up? You know, so at this point, all I can kind of do is just take fight by fight. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I just, um, one thing that like, not just for this division, but one thing part of MMA that I kind of have like an issue with is immediate rematches for like a title like so now i think that someone like like valentina even though she's been such a dominant champ i still don't think she has to get an immediate rematch because now it makes it that whoever to win the title you have to beat the champ two times and i kind of yeah. don't there i think maybe valentina should have to do one more fight give alexa another fight and then if valentina wins then they do it that's something i don't ever really i understand when champs are so dominant but yeah you're almost uh presuming that it was a fluke yes exactly yeah. and i didn't i mean i'm talking about this fight specifically but uh i don't think it was like a fluke she was kind of i thought she was winning it wasn't just the first shot she or the first thing she landed she was doing pretty yeah. good the fight but regardless, just for any weight division, I think it's kind of unfair for the challenger. Now you have to beat the champ two times to win. And I don't really, I think it's better for divisions to kind of mix it up, even though I understand like when the champ's so dominant, you want to give them that, but you know, I don't know, mix it up. Yeah, I get it. So any other plans that you have for fights coming up? Do you have anything lined up or aspirations later in the year for fighting? Um, I would like to try to get, a, you know, another fight in this year. I like, usually when it gets to the, this time, if I haven't had a fight booked already, then I'm like, all right, maybe MSG, you know, being in New York, I like to fight there. Now fight, I mean, that seems so far away, but they're already booking fights for, you know, end of the summer, July and stuff. So, you know, I, I live on the water in, uh, in New York. So we only get like, couple months of summer so i like to usually i like to fight early and then kind of take that summer off but if they called today and offer me a fight I, I, i'm gonna take it but we'll see and what do you think holds in the future for women's mma i mean honestly i just i think it just keeps growing it's so crazy how fast things have changed um you know like even at my jujitsu gym when you go to like the kids classes now there's more girls in the class than, than boys. Like I'm talking little, little kids, you know, even you see it all across like, you know, wrestling and like middle school and high school for there's girls aren't uncommon, you know, we have like, and I mean, I know it, wrestling's a lot more popular in Jersey, but you know, you have wrestling clubs that have like 40 girls and, you know, in the wrestling club. So it's just becoming so normal as like the more, time goes on the more normal it is and i just think it's going to be even more competitive and uh you know it's just going to evolve so much from the beginning though i don't think there was that much of a difference like women's and mma i think it's the only sport really where when you're watching it even if you're just a casual fan you're not like oh the women's fight like okay they're hot but it sucks you know the level of competition and, and technique and everything is just the same and guys i think you know i'm lucky that i picked a sport where people are like 
you know, like you said, being a woman in a male dominant sport, I'm like, if you're fighting in the UFC, there's no diff, no one treats the girls and guys any different, which is amazing. And it's always been like that from the beginning. So I think that's pretty cool that like, you know, even with the small number, it's such a hot, girls are training at such a high level. And I think it's just gonna keep growing. Well, Caitlin, I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate your time. Best of luck to you. If there's anything I can do for you, you let me know. And I hope to be able to chat with you again soon. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Well, thank you so much for having me. And that's what I love about Caitlin. She always keeps it real. So to answer the question, what's it like being a female fighter in a male-dominated sport? As a man, I can't relate, but based on Caitlin's answer, there seems to have its pros and its cons, but it's definitely trending in the right direction. Something fairly new here on Dean's Got Answers. I ask for questions, questions about anything UFC or not, and I'm going to answer these rapid style. So from K-Rock MMA, she wanted to know what's the most important character trait of a successful fighter. And my answer is they make decisions fast and then they get out of them. From Papa Ren, how fast would you knock out Alan Bam? Boom, I just thought about it. He's already knocked out. And from Miles Slew, what do top referees make? Good decisions. And from Ellis Clark 7, do you prefer wearing pink shirts with your suit or baby blue? Listen, I know I dress like a peep on Easter, so don't worry about it. Just know that I'm fly. So do you want your question to be on the next show? Be on the lookout as I'll post it on my Instagram at Dean Thomas, Dean is spelled D-I-N, where I'll ask you to submit a question before the next episode. On this episode, you got my answers to these three questions. One, what the fuck is up with how dangerous the Bantamweight division is and is this the most dangerous division of all time? Two, why are fighters having success coming out of the smaller gyms? And three, what's it like being a female fighter in a male-dominated sport? And as a special bonus, I answer your guys' fan questions. So keep them coming. Well, thanks for listening to Dean's Got Answers. We will be back in the near future with a new episode. But be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dean Thomas. Leave a rating and a review for the podcast, please. Tune in next time as I'll have answers for everything going on in the UFC. Those are my answers. If you have questions, be sure to hit me up. Holla at your boy, y'all. Peace.